Revelation 4 and 5, and you can read that, uh, you can find that in the Red Bibles on page 1030. Revelation 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. And he went and took the scroll from the hand, from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Lord God, we are in awe of this vision from Revelation 4 and 5. What a glorious vision of the worship of God, of the worship of the Lamb. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand the heavenly worship that we see here. And we pray, Lord, that the glory and the significance of what is happening here, of this heavenly worship, that that would press down into our lives today, that it would shape and, and mold our prayers today and our, and our worship. I also pray, Lord, that as we consider heaven and the, the glories there, that it would fill us with hope and a longing for our heavenly home. So we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lamb of God. In Jesus' name, amen. The year 2020 will go down in the church history books as being marked by the unprecedented worldwide phenomenon of families worshiping from home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Countless churches across denominations and just all around the world move their worship services from in-person to exclusively online for a time. And millions of Christians, they, they found themselves worshiping at home with their families and oftentimes in their pajamas. <laughs> and I would, I would think and I would hope that most Christians found themselves just really missing in-person congregational worship. Throughout the pandemic, many of us have thought just again and again, it's just not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be this way. But in heaven, it will be that way. Not the pajama part or the being separated from God's people part, but the part about worshiping at home with your family. Heavenly worship will be just that where the place of worship will be our home and the object of worship and our, of our everlasting enjoyment will be the triune God and the people of worship will be our family. So today we're going to consider these three profound aspects of heavenly worship. We'll consider the place of heavenly worship, the object of heavenly worship, and then the people of heavenly worship. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, doing a, a sermon series, beginning a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And in the first line of Lord's Prayer, we direct our hearts heavenward, as we say, Our Father who art in heaven. 
So let's first consider the, the place of heavenly worship. Now look back in your Bibles at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. Our passage begins with John receiving a vision of heaven, and, and of Christ speaking to him, uh, like, like with the brilliance of a trumpet, and telling him to come and to see what will take place. So this is a vision of heaven, and the worship that takes place there, and will take place there. So what is heaven? Well, heaven is it's God's throne. It's, it's where he rules as God Almighty over all of creation. It is also his home where he dwells. Now, throughout, um, uh, throughout redemptive history, we've, we see different types and shadows of God's home. The Old Testament tabernacle and the temple, they were designed to be shadows of God's heavenly home. In fact, the most common name for the Old Testament temple was the house of God, the house of the Lord, rather than just the Hebrew word for temple. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 6, for example, when Solomon builds the first temple, it's called a house 38 times in 38 verses. House, house, house. This is a house. They're building and establishing the house of God. So then in the, in, in the New Testament, God says that we become his temple and his home where his Holy Spirit dwells. John 14, 23, uh, Jesus says there, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and make our home with him. We will come to him and make our home with him. So in the Old Testament, God's earthly homes were the, the tabernacle and the temple, homes which obviously could just never contain God at all. And in the New Testament, we see that we become God's temple, the dwelling place and home of his Holy Spirit. So throughout the Bible, there are these types and, and shadows of heaven. These, these other places that God calls his home. And, and they, they all point, as, as, as these little examples, they all point towards heaven. So heaven is it's God's home. And it's our home too. It's the home that we are away from right now. I used to work in residential treatment uh, right before I came here. 
and uh, it was at a, at a treatment center up in Onamia, which is just this little dot of a city uh, just south of Malax Lake. And the boys there, they were, they were placed in treatment uh, for sometimes a, a year or even longer than a year. And when the boys are there, they, they really miss home. And one boy in particular, he's about 17 years old. Uh, we were at, a, uh, at one of his meetings, and he received the bad news that he was going to have to stay in treatment uh, even longer. And upon hearing this news, he just he broke down with deep, ugly sobs. <laughs> and he just cried out. And you could tell it was just coming from the core of, of, of himself. And he just, he just cried out, I want to go home. I want to go home. I'll never forget that. And it's reminded me that there's written on every one of our hearts a love for home and also a longing for home when we are away from it. This life is filled with these, these little glimpses, these, 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 these metaphors, these little tastes, these little examples of what true home is like. And it will only be until we come to our heavenly home that we will know the true, full meaning of home. So heaven is God's home, and it's our home too. Throughout the Bible, Heaven is a place that is referred to with just, just various sizes and, and, and levels of familiarity and intimacy. Heaven, in Revelation 21, it's, 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 it's a huge place. It's, it's, it's called the new heavens and the new earth. And then in Hebrews 11, it's called a better country. And then in Revelation 21, it's also called a city. The new Jerusalem, the city of God. And then Jesus, in, in John chapter 14, he calls heaven, my Father's house, which is many rooms. So heaven, is, it's both an expansive place of worship with countless peoples and, and heavenly beings, but it's also a familiar, safe, and intimate place that is all our own. It's just so profound and incomprehensible to think about how heaven can be so vast and yet still be all home. What is also striking to note is about worship in heaven is that according to Revelation 21, there's no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. So God's temple is himself. He is the temple. He is everywhere. In, in heaven, God's temple, his, his home, it's all one and the same. And so our home, our temple, is all one and the same. In heaven, we don't go anywhere to worship God. We worship from home. And home is everywhere. In this present life, we see a schism between worship and life. We worship on Sunday and, and then we go to work, Monday through Friday. We worship at church and, and then we go, go home and, 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 and rest. We worship when we do our devotions and, and then we go about our normal activities. There's a disconnection in our hearts and our minds between living life 
and worshiping as we live life. In life, life, in, in, in heaven though, life and liturgy become one. Life and liturgy become one. Now that doesn't mean that in heaven all we do is just sing one song after, after the next. But what it does mean is that everything that we do in heaven will be done out of pure worship for God. Our work will be worship. Our play will be worship. Our feasting will be worship. Our rest will be worship. Our reigning will be worship. And yes, our, our, our singing, which in this life is, is often just so distracted or mindless or, or even, even it can be so self-serving. In heaven, it will be unadulterated worship. Life and liturgy will be one. So next, let's now think on the object of our heavenly worship, the triune God. In Revelation 4 and 5, the Apostle John receives a vision of heavenly worship, and it transcends any worship experience that we've ever had in our lives. And so, as we see this vision here, the glorious weight of it should press down onto our earthly lives here and, and, and shape every aspect of our worship. So in Revelation 4, we have, we have a vision of God on His throne. And there's, there's seven torches of fire around His throne representing the Holy Spirit. And God is surrounded by, by 24 elders and four living creatures. We first hear in this vision from the four living creatures in verse 8. Day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is very similar to what the cherubim proclaim in Isaiah's vision of the Lord on his throne in Isaiah chapter 6. In both these visions, we have the threefold repetition of holy. Holy, holy, holy. And in, in the Hebrew language, a three-time repetition of something expresses the superlative nature of it. And so here the four living creatures, they're, they're declaring the superlative majesty of God's holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. There is none like Him. And these four living creatures, they're described as being full of eyes. Being full of eyes. Now what, what does that mean? That's, that's strange. It's, so what could that possibly mean? Well, there's several different ideas out there. and um, Perhaps, and I, I, I could be wrong about this, perhaps they're created with as many eyes as possible so that they can take in as much of the face of God as possible. There is no greater beauty in all of heaven and earth than the face of God. When I was hiking around uh, Pikes Peak uh, in, out in Colorado several years ago, I was just in awe. I mean, everywhere you turn is just absolutely beautiful. You just want to take a picture of everything. And it, and I realized this, when I was hiking around, I realized this, that if this is how beautiful the creation is, how much more beautiful is the creator of all beauty? God's beauty is it's a mystery and that we'll just simply have to wait for. 
And when we do see him face to face, we will instantly know that we will be able to be fully satisfied and to fully enjoy his countenance every day for all eternity. So the four living creatures, they they declare the superlative holiness of God. And then the 24 elders respond by bowing before God, taking off their crowns and casting them to the throne, declaring in verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. All glory and power and honor is given to God. Because as the creator of all things, He is worthy. Then, as we move into chapter 5 in this vision, John sees a scroll in God's right hand with God's message of what is to come. But it's sealed with seven seals. No one is able to open the seals in order to open the scroll and to to discern, to learn about what is to come. So John begins to weep loudly. Then an elder tells John that there is one who can open the scroll. The Lion of Judah. But what appears next between the throne and the elders is not a lion, but something quite the opposite. A lamb. And the lamb appears standing, but having been slain. Now, as we know, uh, lambs, after they've been sacrificed, they don't stay standing. So this is a lamb that was slain and alive. Both. Sacrificed and surviving. And so there really there is only one lamb that fits that description. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. The lion is the lamb. And he conquered his enemies like a lion by dying like a sacrificial lamb. His quiet, humble laying down of his life was like a bite to the throat of sin and Satan and all of his enemies. In verse 9, the four living creatures and the 24 elders then bow before the lion-like lamb and worship to him. And they, they sing a new song of worship to him saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you pransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here we see the unequivocal worship of the Lord Jesus Christ for his work on the cross. Jesus is God. And as a member of the Trinity, he is to be worshipped equally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The triune God, each person, is the everlasting object of our worship. Jehovah's Witnesses, they do not worship Christ. And perhaps there are many in Christian churches who do not keep Christ as the central focus of their worship. And furthermore, many professing Christians 
when they when they start to think about heaven, what they first think about is is, is they think about maybe reuniting with uh, family and, and friends. Maybe they consider, oh, will I reunite with my pets? Perhaps they think first about meeting with the saints from of old, of, of meeting Peter and, and, and Paul and Moses. And maybe they think about seeing angels for the first time. Now, now these, are, these are good thoughts. There's nothing wrong with these thoughts. But, but, but Christ needs to be the first one that we long for to see when we think about heaven. And the Apostle Paul is such a good example of this when he, he puts it so well in the book of Philippians. He's, he's imprisoned and he's, he's, he might be facing death. He, he's not sure. And he says there in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So why is death gain and just not utter loss? Because we gain Christ. So may seeing and worshiping Christ in heaven be our our deepest longing while we are here on this earth until we see him face to face. So heaven will be our home and our place of worship. And the object of worship will be our triune God. So now let's consider the people who will be worshiping in heaven. Try to remember for a moment, what, what, was the, what was the largest worship gathering that you've ever been to? What was that like? How many people were, were there? What, what was it like to hear everyone singing together? Perhaps you've been to a, a large conference of, of several thousands, or, or maybe, maybe it was a, a worship conference of a, of, a, of a well-known Christian artist. Or maybe it was back in the day at a, at a Billy Graham crusade or a Promise Keepers event, where just tens of thousands of people uh, pack out a, uh, a whole stadium. You never, forget, you never forget experiences like that. They're just so powerful. But what we are about to see here in, in, in Revelation chapter 5 makes those experiences just feel like little uh, campfire kumbaya gatherings. What we see here at the end of Revelation chapter 5 is a vision of the biggest worship gathering in all of Scripture. Not only are there the 24 elders and the four living creatures worshiping God and the Lamb, but also angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So some, some quick math here. A myriad is 10,000. And so myriads of myriads would be 10,000 times 10,000. And so for those of us that need a little help with math like that, <laughs> that would be 100 million angels. And it also says that there are thousands of thousands of angels. And so 1,000 angels times 1,000 angels, that's a million angels. So, so really what we're dealing with here is just hundreds of millions, just countless millions of angels appearing and, and joining in worship of God and the Lamb. Just countless. What would that sound like? I mean, that would just deafening grandeur, the, the, the kind of 
sound that just shakes you to your bones. <laughs> and, and, and the most beautiful melodies and harmonies that, 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 that your ears have ever heard. But as majestic as, as this is, the vision doesn't stop here. It gets even bigger. It gets way bigger. In, in, in verse 13, we read that the, the worship gathering expands with every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So let's slow down here and, and just try to soak this in and imagine what, what, what is happening here for a moment. Picture yourself on the International Space Station. This is an odd illustration, but I, I think it works a little bit. You get into a spacesuit and, 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 and you step out of the, of the space station and underneath you is, is the Earth. And, and above you and all around you is just the expanse of space. And then all of a sudden you're surrounded by just countless millions of angels all around you, surrounding and filling up the, 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 the space all around you, shining in great glory. And then, and then, then, then you look down onto the earth and you, you see uh, all, every single creature on earth, every, every animal, every insect, every fish, uh, every bird gathering together. And, th- and then you see people from all, 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 of the, all around the earth gathering together. And even those who are dead, those from under the earth, as it says here, uh, uh, coming alive and, and gathering across the lands and on the mountains. And then we see heavenly beings show up. These, 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 these heavenly creatures that we've never even imagined before uh, show up in, 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 this, in space. And then for a moment, it's silent. As everything that has breath fixes its gaze on the triune God. And then every living thing does what it was created to do. Worship God with one voice. This is the definition of awe. (laughs) The highest worship from everything that has breath in both the physical universe and the heavenly realm is worthy of God and of the Lamb. This is one of the greatest passages proclaiming the deity of Christ. Because if the Lamb is just as worthy of this all-encompassing worship as Him who sits on the throne then Jesus Christ is God, without a doubt. For if he is anything less, then what we see here in this vision is idolatry par excellence. So one day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So heavenly worship, in one sense, it's, it's, it's broad, encompassing everything that has breath. But heavenly worship is also specific. 
will be the person, who will be the people, the particular people who will be worshiping God in heaven for eternity? Well, it won't be every person. It will only be those who are part of the family of God. God must be your father, and you must be his son or daughter. Otherwise, you are his enemy. You're either his child or his enemy. You're his enemy because of your sin, your rebellion against God, your breaking of his law that has made you his enemy and not his child. So how do we flee God's wrath and judgment? How can we know that we've been rescued from the fires of hell? How can we become a child of God? John 1.12 gives us a promise. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. People often speak about how, how everyone is a child of God. But God doesn't speak that way. You aren't born a child of God. You become a child of God by receiving Christ as your Savior and believing in His name alone. Then you are promised the right, the high privilege and status of being a child of God. So believe and become a son or a daughter of God and become an heir of your true home and become now a true worshiper. You will join a family of true worshipers from every people group and nation and on, on earth. In heaven there will just be a, a beautiful diversity of people from all backgrounds, all ages, all ethnicities, from across all of history. It will be a huge family reunion. And yes, in heaven you'll, you'll, you'll meet strangers, but you will instantly know them as family for they will look like your family. No, no matter their color of their skin or who, who they were here on earth, they will look like your family, for we will all blaze with the same glory of our Heavenly Father. Horatius Bonar, a Scottish hymnist and author, wrote a book titled, Morning of Joy. And in it he wrote about this family reunion in heaven. He says, but there is reunion. And one of the joys of the morning is this reunion among the saints. During the night, they have been scattered. In the morning, they are gathered together. In the wilderness, they have been separated. But in the kingdom, they shall meet. How wonderful that will be to, to finally leave the night, to leave the wilderness, and to be gathered together at home, with our family, and with our father and elder brother. This vision in Revelation 4 and 5, it's, it's, it's just but a taste of what worshiping God at home with our family will be like in heaven. It will be intimate, and it will be infinite. It will be familiar, and it will be mysterious. It will be safe and secure, 
And it will be this mysterious weight of glory that, that transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. Life will be liturgy. And we will all fulfill the greatest purpose for why God created us. To glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. And to be enjoyed by Him as His children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be called a child of God. How sweet it is to know that as much as we love home here, that that is just but a foretaste of what true home in heaven will, will, will be like. Lord Jesus, we praise you. You are worthy of all of your worship, of all of our worship, for, for you were slain and you purchased us. So we praise you, we thank you, we give you all honor and glory and praise and worship. We ask, Lord, that this vision of heavenly worship would press down into our lives today, that the significance of, 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 of the holiness of God and the majesty of God would transform our prayers and our worship in this life. That every aspect of our life will slowly more and more become a worshipful event. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in heaven. And I, I, I ask, Lord, that you would encourage the brothers and sisters in here with, with this vision of, 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 heavenly, of heavenly worship. Help us all to, to long for that day when we'll see you face to face. I pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.